Psalm 128. We finished with 126 last week. I have spoken on 127 at another time, and so I'd like to take you to 128. This is another psalm of degrees. Many attributed to David, these psalms, that David is the author. And it would seem that way since uh, many of the phrases used in these psalms are common in the uh, Davidic or the Messianic psalms. And so this psalm is, is a, one of the truly great ones. I, you know, as I, do, as I study each one, I think to myself, isn't this tremendous? You know, I, uh, I realize the world probably knows more of the psalms than any other uh, book of the scriptures. The world can quote the psalms. How many times have you heard people quote the Psalms and know nothing about Jesus Christ? Uh, as poetry, they're beautiful. As literature, they're beautiful. But I have to say this, to the Christian, they are wonderful. The Christian can really live in the Psalms, really live in the Psalms. You can read them, and if you're a Christian, you can see so much of Christ in so much that's said. And so the Psalms are tremendous in the things they have to say to our hearts. Uh, also, I would like to say that Paul and David are, are very close together in much that they say. You will find uh, that uh, much that David says through the Psalms, uh, Paul uh, takes and, and greatly uh, builds up into tremendous things of God so that all is, is uniform, all is compact. The Word of God is not disjointed. It's so beautifully joined together. As the body of Christ is one, so the Word is one, so we are one. We're one in Him. He's in us. The Word of God is one. It's so beautifully set together by the Holy Spirit that uh, we can read it from cover to cover so that in every place it has been set exactly by God as God desired. Now, the 128th Psalm I'll read, and then we'll go back and deal with a few of the verses in the 128th Psalm. Uh, Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord that walketh in his ways. For thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands. Happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house. Thy children like olive plants round about thy table. Behold, that thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord. The Lord shall bless thee out of Zion. Thou shalt see the good of Jerusalem all the days of thy life. Yea, thou shalt see thy children's children, and peace upon Israel. Now notice here in the first verse, it said, Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord. And uh, it indicates three things to me at least. Number one, it indicates that you believe there is a Lord, and that's important. Blessed 
is everyone that feareth the Lord. It has no sectarian name. Everyone that fears the Lord. Blessed is everyone. Are you part of this group that fears the Lord? This fear is something that is rather wonderful. It's a fear that is in the heart because we know he is the Lord. He made the heavens and the earth. All things visible and invisible were made by him. Without him was nothing made that was made. By him all things consist. And we believe that all that we see, all that's unseen, was made by him. It indicates you believe he is God. He is the Lord. This is a tremendous step. It may not seem like much when you just say it in words, but I want to tell you that's a tremendous step to believe that he is the Lord. You know, we take this rather lightly, but if you really believe that, that he's Lord, then this means he controls your life. It means that the Savior of your soul also is the governor of your life. He's the captain of your salvation. And so you recognize he is the Lord. Blessed is everyone that fears the Lord. And then you believe that he must be obeyed or you would have no fears. That conscience within you that responds and that, of course, as Paul says, we can sear with a hot iron so that it no longer responds. But that conscience that God has given every soul responds in fear because there is that within them that says there is a Lord. Now, you may deaden your conscience. You may reach the point where you don't believe there's a Lord if you haven't been converted and found Christ as your personal Savior. The only way you'll always believe there's a Lord is when you've been converted and found Christ. Then you'll never doubt there's a Lord again. For once the Holy Spirit has been planted in your heart, this is a witness to you that you are a child of God and you will always know that he is the Lord. But, beloved, we, we know he must be obeyed. We not only know there is a Lord, but we know he must be obeyed. His law is immutable. It's not changeable at all. It has no variableness, none at all. It says God is not variable like men are variable. I couldn't help but think as I was reading David Lawrence, who of course is one of the great uh, commentators, reporters in the U.S. News and World Report. His big headline in the back last week was, Man has changed, God hasn't. And uh, he tells us, he says, uh, we are told now and then by some clergyman that God is dead or that in dispensing justice he has changed. But when we examine it, we find that God hasn't changed. Just man has. As we study human nature, we learn that 
Many have always been inclined to substitute violence for reason, and we've thereby been drawn intermittently into eras of immorality and conflict. This has brought tragic consequences in the history of the world. We are reminded of the passages in the Bible which tell us that to punish the unrighteous, the Lord rained upon Sodom and Gomorrah, brimstone and fire, and that he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities and that which grew upon the ground. And this is in U.S. News and World Report. You wouldn't expect that, would you, from David Lawrence? And yet here it is. God's law is immutable. He doesn't change. He doesn't change. And so there is a, the fear of the Lord. We know his moral law. It has been written on the tables of our hearts. If it had never been written on stone, remember, it would have still been on the tables of your heart. And that is why God gave you a conscience. And you may sear it, you may burn it away. And young people may sear it away and say the whole thing's changed. It hasn't changed one iota. You've changed. God hasn't changed. God never changes. His judgments are immutable. His judgments are always the same. The wages of sin is death. That will never change. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so everyone, blessed is everyone that fears the Lord. Why are they blessed? Because they know he's Lord, number two. Because they know he must be obeyed. They know he is God. Here they acknowledge the righteousness of the Lord. They acknowledge its morality. They acknowledge its properness. They acknowledge this, you see. Are you part of this blessed group? Are you? Blessed is everyone that fears the Lord, not the Baptists. Wouldn't it be nice if I could say, blessed are all the Baptists? I'm very sad to say that it's not so. You would be amazed as people move away from here and ask me, Pastor, and more recently I, several have asked, could you please find us a church that would be a lot like Franklin Avenue, that would preach the gospel, that there'd be a wonderful fellowship together? And I tell you, it's not easy. I will call pastors. I will try to call organizational pastors that I feel would have reasonably good churches, conservative Baptist churches, or the GARB, or fundamental churches that I think might be of some blessing to those that move away. And it's tragic to say that sometimes they're 50 miles from a church where they move. And oh, what heartbreak letters I get. Would to God I hadn't moved. Would to God I'd stayed. I had a letter a while ago from a family whose family fell apart, didn't move more than 50 miles away from here. Said the saddest day of our lives was when we moved away. And we moved into a very rich community. And we found no place where we could worship the Lord. And what happened to us? And this is a good 17 years now. What happened to us? Our family fell apart. If I mentioned the name, many of you would know that family. So it isn't easy. 
to have that position where you can say, blessed are they that fear the Lord. Is your family blessed tonight? Are you? Do you recognize the blessing? May I ask this? Are you thankful for the blessing? That's another matter. Are you thankful? I mean, getting beyond the little bit of grace you say at the meals. Sometimes, uh, you know, that's about the only thankfulness that comes up from Christian hearts when they sit down at the table, and that's very stereotyped. But I'm talking of a real thankfulness of heart that bubbles in gratitude for what the Lord has done for you. I don't know how I'll ever be able to thank the Lord enough for dying for me. I just can't. How can I? How can I ever be able to express to the Lord what it means to know I'm going to heaven? How can I thank him enough? How can you thank him enough? Well, I'll tell you one way you could start. That's by being faithful to him. You know, the Lord doesn't want a lot of real, you know, he loves praise. Praise the Lord. You find that in the Psalms continually. And he loves thankfulness. But he wants more than words. He wants it expressed in real, sincere faithfulness. Beyond, if I might say this very carefully, beyond the worship angle of our faith. If all our faithfulness is merely involved, and I praise God for this kind of faithfulness now, don't don't get me wrong, with coming to Sunday morning service and Sunday evening service and Wednesday night prayer meeting, if that is considered faithfulness in its entirety, God help us. This is faithfulness to the organized church of Jesus Christ that we love so deeply. This is the fellowship of the saints. But when I talk of faithfulness and the blessed life, I'm talking of that moment-by-moment experience that you have every day in your loneliness, in your aloneness, in the secrets of your heart. I'm talking of this faithfulness. I'm talking of the faithfulness of the man who's not at home and who's selling or away from home and is still faithful to the Lord. How I rejoice when a salesman comes to me who's been away and says, Pastor, the first night I got there was Wednesday night. I looked up right away to get a prayer meeting, went down and did I rejoice in the Lord Jesus. Or the man who tells me, when I'm away, I get more studying of the scriptures because I'm in a motel at night all by myself and I get the word of God out and I drink it in. Listen, this is faithfulness. That's faithfulness. That's faithfulness. This is real faithfulness. It's wonderful to be faithful to the Lord's house. The Lord says that we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. But our faithfulness is deeply involved with our personal relationship to the living Christ. It is not involved with works. It's involved with love. I've never found anything in the Scripture which says to me that the Lord is sorry for us because we've forgotten the works. He wants us to perform good works as his children. But the thing that I do notice is this, that he says, I have somewhat against you because you have left your first love for me. 
Oh, how I urge you to that first love. First love. And so, number one, we believe he's Lord. Number two, we believe that he never changes. He must be obeyed. This is what brings fear to the heart. And may I say that this fear, as Ernie read tonight, the fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of wisdom. Because the minute I have a fear of the Lord, I acknowledge his existence. They that seek me, he says, shall find me. They that seek after righteousness shall be filled. And so my fear of the Lord indicates that I know that he is the one who is Lord and must be obeyed. And I consent to something beyond this. I consent that since he is Lord, there is also a day of judgment coming. And I must face that judgment. And so the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I'm so glad that I feared the Lord. I'm so glad that it was the beginning of wisdom. The end of wisdom is salvation. Because the fear of the Lord drives me to the cross of Christ. I must have forgiveness and I must have peace and I cannot find this in the fear of the Lord. If all of the fear of the Lord was all that I had down to the grave, it would have nothing. But the fear of the Lord has brought me to the cross of Jesus for forgiveness of my sins and the cleansing of the blood of the Lamb so that I'm cleansed every whit. The fear of the Lord has brought me to the cross and Christ has cleansed me from my sin. And how blessed that is. And John says, now perfect love has cast out what? Fear. The fear of the Lord was the beginning of wisdom for me. And now the perfect love of God. And who is the perfection of God? Who is the perfect love of God? But Jesus Christ, the perfect love of God, casts out all fear. I no longer fear judgment. Judgment is past. I'm a free man. Whosoever the Son shall make free, he is free indeed. I no longer face judgment. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit of God. And so here I've been made this glorious free man. But now a new fear has come into my breast. But it is a different kind of fear. It is the kind of fear that a wife who loves her husband feels. So often in my study when I have a young couple, maybe I've talked to the girl, and she'll say to me in very soft tones, I'm so afraid I won't please him. Isn't that beautiful? Huh? I'm so afraid. I won't please him. And here we are, the bride of Christ. And this is the new fear, you see, that comes in. I'm so afraid that I might not please Jesus in all that I do. And so while that first fear of judgment has passed, that great assize of God when he shall say, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire. This is not past again. It has nothing to do with my mind or your mind. This is God speaking. 
It doesn't stand for our ideas, our thoughts. It doesn't stand for saying, I cannot understand. We merely say, by faith we understand. Lord, how unsearchable are thy judgments, the scripture says, and thy ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? Who's told him how he should do things? And so we can praise God that, oh, we know there's a judgment to come. We can rest in Jesus Christ. Are you resting in him tonight? Blessed is the man that feareth the Lord. Do you understand what this means? And that fear of the Lord has brought you to Christ. You know, I get a little upset sometimes when I go to some gospel meetings, and I'm not saying that they're all the same, but sometimes I see some pretty light, frothy gospel meetings, and all I hear about is, now come to Jesus and you'll all be happy. Now, I, I want to get away from this kind of thing. That's not true at all. There's only one grounds for forgiveness. There's only one grounds for salvation, and that is repentance toward God and the forgiveness of sins that you admit. And these glib kind of phraseologies that just say, give your heart to God and he'll save your soul. I want to make sure that we understand that there's sin to be forgiven. And there's a cleansing from our impurities and our unrighteousness that we might be brought unto God. You are all gone aside. God says you're all together become filthy. There's none righteous, no, not one, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so it's repentance. I tell you, I know what repentance is. When I found Christ as my Savior, that repentance was so deep within my soul and it was taught God. I wasn't remorseful. Anybody can be remorseful. Anybody can have remorse because they've been discovered in some thing that they've gotten involved in, some sin, some terrible thing. This is remorse. And there can be tears and anguish and sorrow and all of these other things. But I want to tell you, repentance is different. It tells us godly sorrow leads to repentance. That's oh, godly sorrow. It's not remorse. It's not saying, oh, I'm so sorry they found me out. It's a terrible thing. It's rather saying, against thee and thee only have I sinned, O God. Forgive thou my sin. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Blessed is the man that fears the Lord, that walketh in his ways. There is therefore, as I said now, before, now no condemnation to them which what? Walk. You see? Walk. That's it. That's it. Not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. You walk in His way. How can a man walk in God's way? Only by having God dwell in him. You couldn't walk in God's ways by yourself. Why, you might for a minute or two feel that you're quite righteous, but you will not be walking in God's ways lest his eye guide you. 
I will guide thee with mine eye, and my hand shall rest upon thee, and thou shalt walk in my ways. We cannot walk in God's ways unless the Lord guide us. And the best way for God to guide us was that he might come to dwell in us. And then he will live through us and walk in us and talk through us and use our hands and use our feet and use our very bodies which are the temple of the living God. Beloved, these are deep and holy and wonderful things. Have you really come to God this way? I'm afraid we're living in a generation not only of the young but of the older who seem to have no fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is not before their eyes. No fear. Oh, how tragic, beloved. Aren't you glad you feared the Lord? I'm so glad. How could I help it? All I had to do was look inside and know that without Christ there was no salvation. Fear of eternal judgment. Fear of a judgment beyond the grave no matter what men say. And the most brilliant mind in the universe, remember, knows nothing about eternity. Only Christ has opened the door. That's all. A man coming back from the dead, the divine man, Christ Jesus, Son of God, returned from the dead so that we can know there's life beyond the grave. To him I commit my soul. And the fear of the Lord was the beginning of wisdom. And the end of that wisdom was my salvation in Christ. And now God says, Christ has been made unto you wisdom. And perfect love has cast out all fear of judgment. It's past. And he's alive from the dead. My Savior, my Lord, my intercessor. Do you know him? Let us pray. Father, we thank thee for thy blessed word tonight. Lord, how precious it is. We pray that if in our midst there should be anyone who really has never received him, we're not talking about churchianity. We're not talking about being Baptists or Lutherans or Presbyterians or Methodists or Catholics or anything else. Jews, it doesn't matter. We're talking about salvation in that one man, Christ Jesus. And we pray tonight that no one will leave here without Christ in their hearts. The decision must be in the heart. We ask thee that each one may think very deeply, have I really feared the Lord? What do I really know about life? Oh, I know a lot about a lot of things, but what do I know about life? What do I know about death? What do I know about eternity? Now, Father, we would pray that the Holy Spirit might deal with hearts tonight. And as so many have done in this place, that if any find Christ, 
as they come to the door to the pastor just a few minutes after their decision, they will say just one word, just me, meaning that they've come to Christ this night. In Jesus' name, amen.